people think that, oh, if I'm going to sell somebody something, I have to talk them into something. I have to convince them of something. You don't have to convince them of anything. What you need to do is show them that your approach is a little bit different than theirs and will probably yield results that they're not currently getting. If those results are worth exploring, then we could talk about working together. This is Show Your Business Who's Boss. Listen in on behind the scenes, unfiltered conversations with my favorite business owner friends who take charge and make their businesses work for them. Don't just be your own boss, show your business who's boss. I'm Pia Silva. On today's episode, we're turning the topic of sales on its head with badass business owner, Jeff Bajoric. Jeff is a sales trainer and consultant, the author of two books and the host of two podcasts. Jeff helps salespeople perform better by helping them rethink the way that they sell. And I'm certain this conversation is going to shift how you think about selling from now on. Everyone has issues with selling, even if you like to sell. So you need to hear this conversation. So buckle up. Here we go. I've been excited to have you on the show. You are a professional podcaster yourself, way more experienced than I am. You've got like a thing going on with a co-host, which I thought about doing, by the mm -hmm. way, and then it seemed harder for some reason. It's, it's harder with a partner, particularly if you're not business partners, because you don't have the same goals for the show. Christy and I have talked about this at length, and she's a wonderful partner of mine, and I love what we do together. She brings an element to the show that I don't and vice versa. And I think it makes our show better, mm. but it, it all depends on what your goal for the podcast is. And so our goal for the show is really, it's a did part of a digital footprint, of course, as part of a personal brand, as part of a, a reputation and the show's in its fifth year now. So we've got people who know of us that we can get on and, and we can have great conversations, but for us, it's never been about revenue generating. It's really never been about promoting much. It's like a, it's like an expensive hobby in some <laughs> ways, but we get so much from it personally because I get to talk to people like you. If it weren't for, for the show, there's no way that we'd have this connection right now and so many other people that we've had on. So it's a really great engine for, for networking and things, but in terms of leveraging it for either one of our businesses, I feel bad trying to leverage it or contrive it too much to, to suit my personal needs. Mm -hmm. And Christy's getting what she needs to out of it. So it, it kind of feels like it's an in-between. And so I actually started another podcast to I was going to say, you have two yeah. podcasts. <laughs> That's pretty intense. <laughs> Tell me about the other one. I started about, gosh, it's been almost two years now. I started with this idea of building a community online because a lot of people who do what I do, I, I create an, an enormous amount of content. Like, and every time I try to figure out where to dial it back, I can't quite decide. So I just try to streamline the way I produce it and then the way I distribute it. There are a lot of people who do what I do, who create a lifetime's worth of content. They put it all someplace, they gate it, you pay to, you know, to access it. And then they, you know, join my free Facebook group and, you know, we'll, we'll talk once a month and no one will show up and it'll be fine. I didn't want to do it that way. I'm at the beginning of my career, certainly closer to the beginning of this portion of my career than I am to the end. So I thought, well, why don't I build a community first that will nurture the content, guide the content, direct the content. And you got to have enough content there, which I do, but it's really about the community and not about the content. And then I started thinking about what would be worth a premium offering, right? So I've got a free community and then I've got a premium group within the community. And uh, what would be worth it? There were these little snippets of ideas that I had. And you can go a little deeper behind a paywall than you can out in the open. It's really about context more than authenticity. Is there a safe space that you can create behind a paywall where you can just feel a little freer to have conversations? Think about, you know, a house party. There are certain conversations you don't have loudly on your front porch, but you do maybe at your dinner table. And so I wanted to create a space where I could have conversations that go a little bit off brand, that go a little bit deeper into the thought process behind a sales process. So it, it's not about authenticity, right? It's about the context, mm -hmm. right? Because I've had people ask me, it's like, well, okay, well, why are you, why are you saving your best stuff for behind a paywall? It's like, well, I put everything I have just about out there because I'm still exploring it as people are hearing it for the first time. But if you've heard these contexts and you want a little bit more, 
well, now there's a stepping stone effect, right? You hear the base level stuff, then you build on it, and then there's the secondary, tertiary, quaternary aspects of things that if you don't have the, you know, like I said, if you're hearing it for the very first time, you won't have the context for it. And you think, who's this weird guy talking about feelings in a sales podcast, right? And, but that's very much where you need to, to go. Like there's a certain amount of nuance that is developed over a career in selling that helps people understand why things work. And you need to, you need to have some place where you can find it because the mentorship isn't always available. So that's what I'm creating with the second podcast. So it's almost a year old. We've got what, 85 episodes or something right now already created. We release twice a week. They're short, but it's the thought process behind the sales process and the, the nuance for why selling works rather than just what three words should I use in an email subject line that'll get it responded to kind of thing. Right. The tactics that as good mm. as they are for one person might not work at all for another person anyway. And that's why the tactics aren't enough. That's the thing that people don't understand. It's, it's just tell me what to do, Jeff. Reducing this thing that I call a career and a lot of people call a career down to these four or five little statements that'll work every time. It just doesn't equate. You know, and I remember having a conversation with my first sales manager. I was about six months into the game. And I said, Ken, I am frustrated. He's like, why are you frustrated? I said, I feel like I should be better at this now. I've been doing this for six months. I should be way better at it than I am. And he said, Jeff, how long did it take you to get your degree? Which was in something non-business related altogether. And it was in sports medicine. So I was a, an athletic trainer. I was working for a hospital, taking care of student athletes in a high school in the afternoons. He said, how long did it take you to get that degree? I said, four years. He said, then what did you know? I said, just enough to be dangerous. He says, yeah. And, I, and he said, and then how long did you work in the hospital before you came to work here? I said, three years. He said, you probably learned more, but did you know it all by then? I said, no. He said, so you worked seven years in a field, still admittedly had a lot of room to grow, but after six months of sales, you think you should have it all figured out? Help me understand that. I said, point taken. Thank you. And, you know, at, at that point, I immediately got a little bit embarrassed because it was a reflection on that. I thought in six months I should have figured out what he had already had figured out over 20 years. Like it's almost a, I'm throwing shade at him without even meaning to, you know what I mean? It's this thing. I still learn things every day. And I struggle with this because there are people who come to me and they say, Jeff, can you teach me selling? And I say, yeah. Okay. Can we do this in like a four hour workshop? No. <laughs> Like, there's so much. You, you, there's, I think so we all struggle to, with that. I mean, yeah. as we build our businesses, everybody wants a quick fix. We're all looking for instant gratification. We're all being sold instant gratification. And then to your point, that's true for anything. You're going to master mm -hmm. anything. You're just not going to do it in four hours or six months or, you know, it's, you can make progress. You can do well. You can get better and better and better, but you're not going to be a master or whatever in six months. It is so difficult. And the thing is, there are people like me who make it look easy. There are people like you who make it look easy. And that is a really, that's really beneficial to us. And it's also really detrimental to us because it makes people makes people think that, well, they can do it like that. I'm pretty, I'm, I mean, I'm not trying to take anything away from Jeff, but I mean, I'm pretty sharp. I can get this right. I've been doing this almost 17 years now, just like, oh my God. And it wasn't even my first career, right? Like there's so much that goes into it. And I'm someone who dedicates myself to this as a craft. I think of selling as the way that I interact with other people. I think if you think about treating everybody as if they were your best customer, you'd treat a lot more people a lot better. You'd listen more. You'd have more empathy for them. You wouldn't argue quite so much. You wouldn't always agree with them. Some of my best customers I've not agreed with whatsoever, but that doesn't mean that we can't find some common ground. If we all treated each other like our best customers, I think we'd all get along a lot better. And I think, you know, it's, the server at the restaurant when I'm out with my family and I try to make that person smile. I try to make an experience for them waiting on our table, 
you know, as much as them trying to make it an experience for us. It's buying a coffee for the person in line behind you occasionally. It's holding a door for somebody. It's listening and in, in asking a question and listening for an answer and actually seeking to understand their point of view. You know, it, in, instead of just waiting for your turn to respond, it's asking questions with real curiosity. And, and here's, I think, the crux of the entire concept here. You can't be genuinely curious if you're not willing to be wrong. If you're not willing to learn something new, then you're not actually curious. And that is fundamentally missing in most of our questions, just in general, from person to person. And to me, that makes life a much richer experience. It's not about growing a business. That's about connecting with other human beings because everybody's got a perspective that I don't share. And I love learning about everything else that's going on. So all of a sudden, it sounds really cynical for me to say the way I sell is very similar, almost completely overlapping with my approach to life. But that enriches not only my ability to sell, but my experience out of life. And that's what I try to show other people. Well, man, you paint such a rosy picture of selling. We don't feel that way, us, the audience. I didn't either. <laughs> you sound like you're blowing either. smoke. I'm not going to lie, Jeff. But I believe you because you're a great salesman. <laughs> oh, and here it comes. No, I, well, I believe you because you're really good at it, no, but I'm no, still no. not buying it. Um, <laughs> well, here, actually, no, no, no. It's not that I don't buy it. I believe that that's true for you. I'm mm. curious because that's such a different way to approach selling. Mm -hmm. So I'm making fun of you because nobody talks about it like that. And I'm curious and, and in a much less elegant, eloquent way, I think some of those fundamental things are what I'm always trying to get people to learn. You know, I don't, I don't teach sales at all, but I do teach one aspect of sales, which is this one, I call it the non-sales sales conversation, this one 15 minute call that you have with people to close them into the first step of your process, which has a lot going on before and after it. It's not just this call, but, and, and what I mostly focus on is, you know, you got to be genuinely curious. That's you. If I could tell you all the, when I explain it, there's a lot of quote sales tactics. You can map them to sales tactics that get sold in sales trainings, but if you do them from a genuine place of curiosity, you won't be using sales tactics. You'll just be curious about whether or not this person is really somebody you can help or not. And if you're genuinely feeling that way, it'll be an easy conversation to have because you have no agenda and you have nothing. And I think maybe that's how I, uh, those are the words I would use to, to yours, which is you don't know everything. Right. And you don't necessarily to me, it's like I don't have an agenda. I literally just want to understand what this person is doing. And it's really and I'm noticing. So I'm, I'm going to ask you, how did how did you do this? I'm noticing that I can say that to people over and over again. You, you actually have to genuinely be curious. And it's like that's not an easy thing to do because you're trying to change how somebody feels about a conversation when I notice people struggling with it when they really do have an agenda <laughs> and they really do want to sell this person. They really want this person to be a good fit so they can make the sale. And so it's really hard to step out of that and just be genuinely curious and detached from the sale. Again, my words that I, I see similarities in like it. First of all, is that somewhat in line? Obviously, I'm not a sales trainer by any means, but is that kind of in line with part of what you're saying at least? And how do you help? If so, how do you help people move that? Mm, it's the mindset shift, really. It's not a mm -hmm. tactic at all. It's a mindset shift. There's a lot to unpack there. I love where you're going. We're very much aligned. And there are a couple of points that I want to make sure that I make. One, there are a lot of people out there who are trying to be so anti-sales that they forget that they still have to make sales. Right? Oh, I don't want to be salesy. I don't want to be pushy. I don't want to be this. Well, okay. You still have a family to feed, right? You still have, even if you don't have a family to feed, you still have food to put on your own table, right? I mean, let's not forget what the job is here. A friend of mine, Anthony Iannarino, likes to say that selling is not something you do to somebody. It's something you do with somebody for their benefit. And so I'm going to borrow his line and I freely name drop because he's a good guy to name drop. But when you shift your own mindset around how you help people, it becomes a value that you provide for somebody and you can take this to the extreme, but there's, an, I mean, one of the forefathers of sales training, Zig Ziglar, a long time ago said, if you believe that you have 
a way that you can help somebody. You have a moral obligation to do so. And when you start thinking about the value you provide and the help that you can can give people, why wouldn't you want to? Like selling is something that is very, uh, the word is escaping me right now. Like you're, 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 you're doing it. There's a lot of valor in it. There's a lot of good in it. There's a lot of integrity in it. We, you and I, you're a couple years younger than me, Pia, but like we grew up in a time where selling was not a trusted profession. It's still not a trusted profession right now. I've got another friend who does, he, he, he's a nerd about sales history. And he goes, you go back a hundred years and you read some of the books, you read some of the magazines, the articles, selling was a very trustworthy profession. It was, it was noble. It was honorable, something you did. And then somewhere along the way, it kind of went sideways. But when you believe that you have, and you get into those discovery questions, that's the discovery phase of the sales process is just asking people if you can help them. If there is a point in time where you say, you know what, Pia, I, I'm hearing what you're saying. I think I can help you. Is it worth having another conversation, maybe just 10 or 15 minutes? And, and maybe you don't have time right now. Maybe we should schedule this for a couple of days out, maybe next week. But I think I can help you. Is it, is it worth those 10 or 15 minutes for me to lay out how? And I promise if 10 minutes is too many, I won't ask for 11. But a lot of times people in your position, they end up asking for 30 because there's really, look, and there are some things I'll lay out for you. And some of it's going to be considered free consulting because I can't tell you these concepts and explain how I can help you without you actually learning a little bit about how I'm going to approach this. And look, your time, the value of your time will be rewarded for this meeting. You will leave this meeting knowing more about how you can help yourself, even if you don't work with me. But I think I can show you some ways we can really boost the impact that you can make on your customers by showing you a couple of things, a couple of tweaks that you can make, you know, by, by working with me. Does that sound fair? And that's all it is. Like people think that, oh, if I'm gonna sell somebody something, I have to talk them into something, I have to convince them of something. You don't have to convince them of anything. What you need to do is show them that your approach is a little bit different than theirs and will probably yield results that they're not currently getting. If those results are worth exploring, then we could talk about working together. And actually, while we're at it, you may want to go look at this person and this person and this person because they all do it differently than me. And maybe their approach will work a little bit better for you. I don't know. But what I'm saying, Pia, and as we're having this conversation here about your business and the results that you're trying to get, you're not getting them right now. I think I can help you get there. So is it worth even exploring whether or not there's a project to be done, whether it's with me, whether it's you on your own, or whether you find some online course or you go work with another coach? That's, I think, what selling is. And, and showing them that there is something possible that they're not getting right now and, and helping them understand what they'll need to do in order to get it. That's, I don't know. I've worked really hard to, con to eliminate the word convince from my vocabulary because I don't think people who are convinced are as happy as they could be. They're certainly not willing in many cases to refer you to anybody else. And a lot of times they end up with buyer's remorse because they really didn't want to buy that. They just felt cornered and the easiest way out was to give this guy their credit card number. Right. We've all been there. I hate right. that. Well, there's a lot of salespeople, sales trainers out there. I've seen some of them who mm -hmm. take that there is nobility and valor in selling to an extreme. If I let this person off the call without my, their credit card, I've let them down because I can help them. So, like, wh where is the line? I draw the line at I feel as though I have explained myself well. And, and laid out my situation and, and I feel as if it's understood. And at that time, if they want to go in another direction or they choose that just now is, hey, you know what, Jeff, that sounds really good. It's not in the cards right now. Okay. Cool. Hey, best of luck. You know, if they're going to head in another direction, you know, I may reach back out to them. I've done this before. I'll reach back out in a couple of weeks, in a month or so. I'll say, hey, something came up. The other day and i thought of you just thought i'd drop you a text message a message here on linkedin or wherever you're connected you know look are you gonna do that to hundreds of people probably not but you know like me i work with a handful of clients at the same time so 
when one doesn't pan out, there's typically a name that still, or two that sometimes sticks out in my head. And I find a way to interact with a post on social media. I'll send a text message. I'll send an email, say, Hey, how are things going? Look, I, when we went through the sales process, I told you that your results, your outcomes were important to me and I'm showing that. So are you getting what you look, what you were looking for? And sometimes say, you know what, Jeff, we're really not. Okay. Well, when the time comes, you know how to find me and you move on. And necessarily the reach out, but that kind of that attitude, like, Hey, you know where to find me? Like I've, you know, we've connected and that's it. I mean, I usually even leave it at that. So I'm super aligned with you with that. And at the same time, I, I want to play devil's advocate because I'm curious because I struggle with this as I see certain messages about sales, which are before that, you know, on this conversation, a lot of people let fear make those decisions, right? This is, this is another part of this, you know, what is, when, where is your responsibility to sell? Because a lot of people are scared to spend money to help themselves. Fear stops people. And because I'm not a pushy person, <laughs> because I don't want to sell and I want, and this is what I wonder, I go, because I've been told this, is this my own mindset issue that I don't want to help somebody push through that fear because I don't want to deal with my own insecurities of being pushy or salesy or somebody thinking that I'm being too aggressive or all of that. And it's to their detriment because I can so help them. And this is so obvious <laughs> an investment mm -hmm. that, you know, do you see what I'm, it's not I do. super clear, but I, I struggle with that because I'm kind of the like, okay, sure. You don't want to do it. And then I realize that somebody else may push them through, help them push through that fear, be pushy, but they'll get those results. And then I didn't do my job and I struggle with that and I don't do it, but I, but I wonder if I should. When you notice that a lot of people are indecisive for the same reason, or when you get, you know, you, you survey your customers and what was the biggest thing you had to overcome before you decided to work with me? And they say, yeah, I was really afraid to make the investment. It's not, I'm not questioning the value on that investment, Pia. And what are you selling brand, brand ups for? Uh, it's brand, is, brand is that the, your brand yeah. up? Yeah. You were selling them. I just saw your post the other day. You were selling them for 3000. Then you were selling them for 10,000. Now you're selling them for 25,000, right? Pia, it's not that I don't see $250,000 worth of return, even in the next six months on this. It's that I just, I got to work hard to go find 25 grand. And now I'm questioning if I can get similar results with half of an investment. You know what, what, and what it does is it creates a lot more questions in somebody else's mind. And so that fear can become paralyzing. One of the things that you may notice is that even though you can demonstrate a return on investment, you can have those conversations, you can lay all this out, you are logic, you're using logic too early in the process because people buy things emotionally, they justify them logically. If they really, like you, you know this, if you really, really want someone or really, really want something rather, you will go find that thing you'll buy that thing and then you'll figure out how to tell your spouse, your partner, your, what you do. Well, this is what I was thinking. And no, what you were thinking was you weren't thinking, you just really wanted that thing. You had to have it and you'll figure out the details later. When you lead with logic, this gets back into convincing when you, when you lead with too much logic, now people aren't in the emotional space, or in this case, they're in the wrong emotional space to make the decision. And so they end up just reverting back to, you know what? The status quo is not perfect, but it's good for me right now. It's warm, it's safe, it's cozy. And don't forget, you're probably not the only person coming at them saying, you know what? If you just make this investment, you're, there's 10X return. If you just make this investment, there's 25X return. You just make this investment, on and on and on. What do they do? Well, in the absence of a clear choice, I'll just make no choice. And so a lot of times when you get to the end of that sales process, and you're really, you feel like you're there, but there's some hesitance or some hesitation there. And you say, you know, Pia, I get to this point with a lot of my potential clients. And it's clear to me, because I've been doing this long enough, that I'm probably not the only project, or I'm probably the only person you're thinking about with this project. This is probably not the only project on your docket. It's a lot flying around right now. And it's certainly easier to do nothing than to do something. I don't know if I've earned the right to ask this yet, but is that where you feel you are right now? And if you're willing to, I'm happy to, to talk through that with you. 
maybe it's not the right time to move forward with this project with me right now. Maybe it's not the right time to move forward with this particular project with anybody right now. And I don't want to pry into business that isn't mine, but a lot of people like you get stuck where you are right now. Then they end up doing nothing at all because paralysis analysis and the paradox of choice and all of these things, like there's just so much going on. Hey, I'm willing, if you're interested in helping you peel that back a little bit. And like I said, I don't know if I've earned the right, but if that's something you're really stuck on right now, that's something I help people with. And maybe you move on with somebody else and it's not even me, but every conversation like this helps me with even, you know, with, with other prospects. So is that something you want to get in? Your prospects, by that point in time, if you've done discovery well enough, if you've been just, if you've been genuinely curious, if you're really just trying to help people, show them you're trying to help them. And a lot of times they'll open up. Now, don't ask that question if you're not interested in having that conversation. That's something I do. That's the relationship that I build with my clients. And that's my role as a, as a coach, as an advisor, as a consultant, in, in addition to the training that I do. So that's really right in my wheelhouse. Maybe that... Maybe that isn't for you or, or someone in your audience, but if you find that objection continues to come up, then figure out a way to help them through that objection. Normally it's not, I'm just adamantly against this and now you're trying to convince me. It's, Jeff, right. I don't know what to do. Normally you it's, know? oh, I, I absolutely see the value. I'm just mm -hmm. not ready to get over my fear mm -hmm. of spending money. I mean, there's lots of objections, but that's a very common one. You know, as you get into really valuable professional services, from boutique firms, you get big price tags. I, I will say this, the price is supposed to sting a little bit. If it doesn't sting, it won't have your attention. So I, I say that. People say, Jeff, you're really expensive. I say, yep, I am. There's a reason for that. Actually, there's a lot of reasons for that. But you know, one of the things is I, I wanna make sure that you're committed. Because if you underinvest, you're not gonna get the results you're looking for. What's worse than you not doing anything at all is you spending a little bit of money and still not getting the results. Right. <laughs> like, I don't want to <laughs> see that. You don't want to see that. Let's make sure that you're ready for this. I want to make sure that you're engaged in this. I want to make sure you're committed to this. I want to make sure that you will have your attention because part of my job and part of this process is to hold you accountable to the things that you need to do. I can train you on everything you need to do, but I can't make you do it. I'll tell you what, a lot of times, the person who's willing to help them understand their real problem, which in this case is, I don't know what to do first, you're going to be the one that they look to do business with first. And that's not just that, I mean, that's you just reaching out to help. Well, who are they going to reach out to help? Who are, who are they going to reach out to for help? The one who was most willing to help them, especially if it meant, you know, and PM, we may have a conversation. We say, oh, yeah, no, take care of that thing first. I did that with a client just this uh, earlier this year, you know, oh, Jeff, we, we've loved working with you for the last five, six years. We need to change our agreement though, because we've got a couple of competing priorities. We really need to take care of this stuff for, you know, you're absolutely right. When, when should we rejoin? When should we recommit? When, when, when should we restart this conversation? Cause yeah, if you got to, if you're going to get rid of a few people, it doesn't make sense for me to train them. And if you're going to hire some new people, it doesn't make sense for me to, you know, for them to join us halfway through. So what does your timeline look like? And go take care of that stuff first. I'll be here. Yeah. And that's that long game too. It's really building 100%. that trust and relationships. It's so tough to do. And this is, you know, in sales, we talk about pipeline a lot. If it's easier to have these conversations if there are five or 10 or 15 people in line behind Absolutely. them, right? Which is why your marketing is important, yet. which is why, you know, your the, the way you talk about yourself and the things that you do for other people is so important, but you've got to put yourself in a position where you can do the right things for the right reasons rather than worrying about, well, if I don't close this deal, then we don't pay the rent this month. That's not a good situation to be in because then that makes you do the wrong things. And then that leads you to become that salesperson you swore you'd never become. Yep. Desperate. Um, and pushy. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Pushiness yeah. usually comes from desperation. Right. I mean, if there's 10 more conversations right behind it, it's really easy to be genuinely, okay, this doesn't sound like a good time. Great. Like, mm -hmm. move on next. I mean, without really knowing it, that was kind of my strategy over the last you know, six years was, okay, well, I'll just put a lot of energy and focus on building trust through authority 
so that mm-hmm. I can not sell. I call it not selling. It is selling. But I always tell people I hate selling. I don't like selling. I'm not, I don't sell it to anybody, but I am selling. I'm just, doesn't feel like it because my association with the word selling is pushy, desperate, like using tactics, manipulating. But if you don't need the sale, it's really easy to not sell because then you're just, oh, well, no, I guess I can't help you. Or I absolutely can help you, but it's your choice. I really don't care either when way. Like, I want to help you, out to but me. it's okay if you don't close because there's another conversation. And so I, I felt like I need to set myself up for that so that I can, I mean, to be perfectly honest, out of a fear of, of needing to sell. I hate that salesiness so much. I will spend years creating this authority so I don't have to be in that position. You know, that that's something that not everybody has years to do that. Right. And that's certainly one way to do it. But when you recognize that there are a lot of ways to create authority, you can create authority by putting a bunch of stuff out there for free. You can create authority by writing a book that people can buy. You can create authority by hiring a PR firm to put you in all the, the greatest places and in, in, in that. And you can spend a lot of money creating authority quite frankly, a lot of money or a lot of time or both. Or you can put yourself in front of people that you can help because you know you can help them and because you were willing to ask them to have a conversation about how you might help them. I'll go back, you know, you, you said you don't sell. I disagree with you. You sell hard. You sell really hard. Great. You, you, like to, you like to tell yourself that you don't sell, but everything you're doing is, is selling. And, and I'll go back to my crazy definition of what selling is, and it's all part of my psychosis. I'm aware of this. But you asked me to come on this show. You made a sale. When you asked me to come on this show, you made a sales call. When I agreed, you made a sale. That makes me, in this way, your customer. Right? Anytime you ask someone to do something that they weren't going to do, if it weren't for you asking, you're making a sales call. When they do it, they're your customer. When you were a teenager and you were asking for the keys to the car to go out with your friends on a Friday night, you made a sales call. And when your parents decided to give you the keys, they became your customers in that, in that regard, right? When you were an infant, everything you did was a sales call. You made a noise. You got a reaction. So let's think about what selling is. And let's think about it in a non-traditional way. Let's think about it in a way that we can relate to it in the things that we do all the time. I, well, both of us, right? Like we're, we're both married. I asked a woman to commit to spending the rest of her life with me. That is a very, that was a very direct sales call. I got down on one knee, gave her a diamond and said, would you do this with me? And she agreed. She also made a sale indirectly by getting me to ask the question. Very indirectly, actually. Right? Like, the, so, I mean, but, but what's happened there, and you know, not everybody who's listening to this is married. Some people were married and aren't anymore and are not happy to tell the story about it, right? I'm not trying to bring up bad memories. What I'm trying Was that to a return is, or what is that when you... <laughs> <laughs> Did they lose uh, I'd like to send this one or... back. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but when you think about, again, it gets back to our relationships. Yeah. There are exchanges made all the time. You know, you sit down in front of the TV to watch a show. That show made a sale. You're a customer, even though you didn't buy for it. You didn't pay for well, it. Well, you right? paid you for it with your it. time. Exactly. So, so many of the sales that we make are non-monetary. As soon as money gets involved, that's when people tense up. And what I try to do is bring people back and say, hold on, before we get too emotional about the wrong things here, let's think about what we're trying to do. You ask a question, you get an answer. You, you made a sale. And maybe that seems a little too obscure, but what I want to do is bring it back to a point where it's familiar to people and they recognize how transferable those skills are. I got into selling reluctantly. I didn't believe I was that kind of person. I didn't believe that I was someone who would do those things to the, that kind of person, right? And, and then when I realized what, it, what was really going on, what are the machinations behind a sales process? Hey, is it worth, is it, worth it to you for us to spend a little more time together? Is it worth it for you to make this investment that I can help you with so you can get the results you're looking for? That's all you're asking for. And at some point, money typically changes hands, at least in a business relationship, because that's what it takes. I can't provide those results for you if the business isn't open. Okay, let me ask you a slightly tangential question, because this is all predicated on the idea, especially when you're talking about premium price stuff, this is all predicated on the idea that You've got 
you you can help somebody get those results. You know you can. You've done it a bunch of times. You got a lot of confidence in how you're able to deliver. There's a lot of people out there who are new in business and maybe not mm -hmm. even that new, but you know, I was pretty new one, two, three years into it. I mean, sure. you know, I had a lot of value to give for sure. And I also didn't know a lot and I definitely didn't know that I didn't know even more. What about then? Like, how do you confidently have this conversation you're talking about? It sounds really great when you're super, super seasoned. But what if you're not? How? What are you supposed to do then? And you, you can say to somebody, I, I think I can help you. I, I'm going to try my best. But you can't necessarily <laughs> tell someone that you can promise them a result that, A, either you're just not seasoned enough to truly say, I know I can get you this result, and B especially in my line of work, for example, like I can get you the results I can get you, but I can't necessarily get you the results you're looking for because it requires so much of you. And I, this is going back to the buy-in thing. Like yeah. you're going to have to do a lot more after I'm done <laughs> to get that result. So, you know, there's a couple of factors at play. So I guess my first part of my question is really like, how does this translate to somebody who's much newer and can't necessarily stand with that confidence like i'm gonna just you know your business is gonna 10x because of me and i know it but i don't guarantee results but i guarantee my work and i have a similar conversation to what you just had now and this is this is part of the part of closing the deal really is okay pia this is what i know i can do for you in order to get the results that you're looking for you're going to need to take the work i do for you and A, B, C. I can help you with A. I can help you. I can help advise you from a distance on B. But ultimately, if your people don't do what they need to do and C doesn't come around, you're probably not going to get there. What do we need to do to ensure that? Right. What that does is actually demonstrates your expertise. It underscores that you've been here before. And even if you haven't been here before, I'll say this really quiet. I'll whisper to the people so not everybody hears. Right. Even if you haven't done that before. You've got enough expertise to know from working on these projects before or from having a mentor, right? You don't start a business when you're fresh and have no experience whatsoever. You've got a little experience with it. You don't have to know it all in order to be good. And in your area of expertise, even though you only know 25% of it, it's still probably 10 times more than what the person you're helping knows, right? So there's still an experience and an expertise uh, gap there where you're, you've got a lot of leverage and just say, look, this is what I think we should do. This is how I'm going to deliver it. And you hold yourself accountable to those deliverables, but you acknowledge up front, say, look, the results here, what I'm going to do is going to enable these results. But I see these three things that could get in the way. I can only have an impact on a couple of those things. What are you going to do, Pia, as the, as the client in this situation to make sure that those things don't get in the way of your success? I can't impact them, you know, personally, but I know they're there and I want to make sure I would be doing you a disservice if I didn't remind you. That's part of your job. I don't think your job is to guarantee, I don't think your responsibility is to guarantee the results. I think your responsibility is to show them as much as you know especially when it means identifying some of the blind spots that they don't have, or I'm sorry, the blind spots that they have, but the things that they don't see. You've laid it all out there. You're transparent with them. Now, obviously in your career, as you get more experience, you're going to identify more blind spots. You're going to be able to avoid some of those um, obstacles from coming up because you will have the experience of kind of getting kicked in the teeth every once in a while saying, oh man, I wish I'd seen that coming. You know what? You'll miss, you, you won't miss it the next time. You'll see it coming the next time because mistakes like that don't get made twice. Right. It's okay. And you need right? to work with people in order to learn those, have those mistakes and learn from them. That's how you get better. So you can't be scared to work with people. We are so afraid to fail and it, yeah. it disables our best teacher. Yeah. Okay. So that's fair. Let me ask you this. So when we do, when we do messaging, for, you know, I, I'm at this particular moment, I am working exclusively with smaller agencies like mine. I'm teaching them how to do what we do. So I've niched down a bit. And part of it is, you know, obviously, anytime you do any kind of branding or marketing or 
business work, you always kind of have to make sure that the certain things are in order. Like, <laughs> are you clear on who your target market is? Are you clear on how you yeah. speak to them? Like, what's your message? Why do they care? All of this stuff. So no matter what kind of work you're doing, do you have that in line? And one of the common questions, you know, it's, well, what, what, do, what are the frustrations that your clients are having? What are the f- fears that they have? What are the pain points? Like, what are you helping them solve? And often, we as service providers are solving a problem that ultimately is in service of the big kahuna problem, which is I want my business to grow. I want better mm-hmm. clients. I want more clients, right? That's always the end goal. Right. But what we're doing is not necessarily, it's like, it's like a piece of it, but it's not the entire thing. And so if you're telling somebody, you know, I'm going to help you build your brand, so that you can get better clients and more and more clients and then you help them build their brand. And then it's like, but yeah, you still have to reach out to people or you still have to do marketing or you still yeah. have to have these conversations and you might need to become a better salesperson. You know, you mm-hmm. may need to hone these skills and all of this and I'm not do I'm not helping with any of that because I'm not that's not part of my offering. The blind spot that we might see and I'm trying to extrapolate this from what you just said would be telling them that after we do mm-hmm. this, you're going to have to go reach out and do all of these things. But you can't make somebody do it. I guess I'm answering my own question. <laughs> That's what you say. What do you say to those people? Uh, yeah, I, I think you say something very similar to that. And, and you say, look, and, you know, when I started this business six years ago, there was this big argument about inbound marketing versus outbound selling or outbound market, whatever it was. And it's like, look, if you have enough leads coming to you, right now to where you don't have to get out of bed or even put pants on to have a virtual meeting with anybody and there is a line around the block for people waiting to buy from you then by by all means don't worry about prospecting don't worry about a lot of marketing the word of mouth is enough for most people like 99.5 percent of them word of mouth not enough right away so what are you going to do Right. And I don't care if you're just going to post on LinkedIn every day, if that's working for you, or if you're going to have an awesome Instagram game or Facebook is going to be your platform, whatever it is. Great. But in the meantime, how are you going to pay your bills? Sometimes that means that you need to put yourself in front of those people that you know that you can help. And you need to show them what you know that they don't know, how it could help, that you can be a resource to them. And maybe it's, hey, look, I've got great ideas for businesses like you, and I'm really just trying to test them and, and see if they if they work. So I believe they'll work, but I'm not in your shoes. So, hey, I'll tell you what, once a week, I'm going to send an email to my list, and it's going to have three great ideas for you. I'll leave it up to you to try them and test them and get back to me. But in the meantime, hey, it's an email. I won't abuse it. I won't sell your information to anybody. I'm just, I'm looking for people like you to give great ideas to every week on Thursday afternoon, right? Three on Thursday. And take that, please, and use it for your weekly newsletter with three great tips. I'm fine. I don't have any proprietary (laughs) right to it, right? Go ahead, use it. But now all of a sudden you're taking, and maybe you're going out to find people who look like your ideal customer and just asking them to be on your mailing list. That's one way to get started. You know, maybe you're picking up the phone and dialing. A lot of people don't like that. Sometimes it's not effective at all. Other times it's the very best way to reach the people you need to reach. And, you know, it's... Oh, you've got to be skilled to do that. Not as skilled as you think. Maybe that's another Maybe that's another podcast episode, but not as skilled as you think. Really? You really don't. You just have to be persistent and you have to bring value every time. It's, hey, you know, look, Pia, I... I'm calling businesses like yours because I've had success with businesses like yours. And what I've noticed is there are a couple of things that you're missing that you don't even realize you're missing. I can help. If we just had 10 minutes to talk about this, I could show you a couple of things. Go use them on your own. And and I, I, I'm just, I'm happy to share them, right? And hey, maybe it makes sense if, you know, you, there's more to offer than what I can share with you on the phone. And maybe it makes sense for us to work together. If not, I know I can help. Right. Oh, man, though, when people call me and say stuff like that, I'm like, I have no time for this until the guy that I do listen to. And then I buy from them. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. But, you know, so much about marketing, so much about selling or anything is about being differentiated. 
right. and in an era where nobody's using the phone because nobody likes to use the phone, yeah, stand out. You think your voice, you think your yep. voicemail stands out. You think your postcard stands out. You th- I mean, like, yeah. let's be, let's uh, instead of how do I do it, let's think about what needs to be done and what we're trying to accomplish. That's the that's the thing. So, yes, I feel like I got way tangential on that answer. No, no, but, but that's um, good stuff. And actually, you're also. I just want to highlight something that you said and add to it, which is. You know what's what's a authentic on-brand way for you to do it that makes sense for yeah. you. So don't push yourself to make cold calls if you just hate it so much. First of all, you won't do it, but also right. you won't really sound confident and easy breezy on a phone call if you hate it so so much. Maybe for you, it's sending a voice memo to somebody through an email or through something or a video or. That's and and that's a very keep. You're making a very strong point there. I don't use the phone so that people pick up and I get to talk to get to talk to them right away. I use the phone because voicemail is underutilized. But you can send a voice memo through a text message. You can send a voice memo through most of the social media platforms now. You can, I mean, do a lot of things. Your voice is very, very powerful, and video is is really interesting too. So yeah, I think it's just think about how many times you've sent a text message to someone and has been received the wrong way right tell me that your voice doesn't matter tell me that tone doesn't matter tell me that the opportunity to make someone laugh when they change or when they check their voicemail tell me that's not powerful you know you don't have to leave a sales pitch in a voicemail you know it's hey pia you know i thought i'd be able to catch it but i missed you hey you know what can't win them all i guess but i'm going to come back and i'm going to keep swinging because i know i can help people like you look i'm going to send you an email with a document here that i just I, I read this article and i thought of you and i thought i might be able to catch you on voicemail but maybe another time check your email though i think you'll get a lot of benefit out of that tell axel i said hi and talk to you soon right Axel doesn't know me, right? That's you get a little chuckle out of that. What is mm-hmm. he going <laughs> to win from here? And that Bajorek said hi, but like it's just those little things. Like you're not going to. You, you see a voicemail from, you know, you see someone who called you, even if you don't recognize the number, and they leave a voicemail. You at least check you it. Listen to it. Yep. And and sometimes you don't listen because it gets transcribed on a lot of people's phones. That's fine. But all of a sudden, it's something that clearly I'm speaking just to you. I'm not a recording. I'm, you're going to check it out. Now all of a sudden, I've made an impression. That's going to make a lot more, a lot bigger impression than that tweet that you sent out that you don't know if anybody read it. You don't know who saw it. Let's think about what we're trying to do here. Yep. Yeah. And it it is the first line of defense as, as we've been discussing and as both huge content creators, it's like, Mm -hmm. it's a great strategy, but it's a long-term strategy and it takes a lot of time and it, and it takes some time to build up. And so while I am 150% behind it as a long-term strategy, in the short term, you have to be willing. I mean, in the short term, of course, I, I just pounded the pavement. I just yep. did the networking. Multiple events a week, mm-hmm. B&I in the morning, 10 coffees a week. I mean, it's a lot of time. But yeah. it doesn't take that long if you put that energy into it. I think I probably, I only did it for about a year. And I knew thousands of people. And, and and what did you so did you have coffee once or did you have coffee more than once with with a, bu- a bunch you of know, those people most of the people i only had coffee with once but because i was showing up at all those events i was seeing the, the other people who were sure showing up i see them over and over and over again and you know middle of new york city it's really small in the networking world i believe it it's really small so you if you're showing up to all those events you're seeing the same people <laughs> and you're making the- really strong relationships with them the point is, though, it's not enough to just show up. People think that if you just show up, now showing up is half the battle. Must be present to win. I'm a friend who used to say that. We used to work together. You say, must be present to win. There's a lot of truth to that. But you got to do more than just show up. You got to give people a reason to pay attention to you. You got to give reason to people, you know, people a reason to take that next step. Hey, P, it's great to see you. You know, I've seen you like four times in the last four BNI meetings here. You know, I, is it worth getting a coffee? I'll tell you what, I'll buy the first one. And if you really like what I have to say, I'll let you buy the second one. Is that fair? And all of a sudden, I've just closed you on two coffee dates or, or meetings or you know whatever it is you want to call it in your calendar, right? And you know we're, we're going to have those, those conversations. And now what I've also set up is that the second one's only happening if I earn it the first one, right? If the first one's worth, if the first one's interesting enough, then let's talk some more. And I'm not asking for any money. I'm not asking for anything. We're going to go Dutch over two coffee meetings. And we'll see if something's there. 
But so many people, and I've seen, I've been to the BNIs, and you really got to find a good group, but you got to give them a reason to take your call and you've got to ask them to take your call. That's, I think, where people, where people miss. And that is founded, rooted, and firmly ingrained in your belief that you can help other people. And I believe so much that I can help you, Pia, that I've got to ask you if we can have a little bit of a conversation here. And I'm willing to give you a little bit of expertise for free because I've got to justify my own credibility here. And I'm not afraid to give you a little bit because there's plenty more where that came from. But we should talk a little more about this because I, I really think I can help. And look, if I lay it out here and it's just not for you, hey, no big deal. I'm, I'm not the kind of guy that's going to twist your arm, paint you in a corner and make you feel like you just got to get rid of me because that doesn't work out well enough for either one of us in the long term for that to be the situation. But I am doing you a disservice as well as my business if I don't at least have a conversation with you. Now, see, that I'm 50-50 on it because on the one hand, that is how you get business in the short term. Mm -hmm. No question. And to your point, I'm willing to give a little bit away for free because I have to in order to demonstrate what this mm -hmm. is all about. 100%. Again, to me, short term and or, you know, in the long term, that is some people's strategies in the long term, but it's okay because their clients are worth a lot of money. So it's worth it to have, you know, you, you uh, if you're doing it for a long time, you have your numbers, you know, for 10 conversations, I'm going to close a client. And if that client is worth $50,000, then uh, it's totally worth having two coffee dates with 10 pe people each, right? Because then mm -hmm. I know exactly how to make the, the income I want to make. But if you aren't act, if you're doing this in the short term, and you aren't actively raising your prices so that you get there, and you aren't doing the long term marketing, you need to know that you will be doing that forever because you have to you know to me it's that trade-off like you you do the upfront up you have to do the upfront giving of expertise and having the multiple coffee dates and getting um to know each other when you haven't done the online marketing right you and i both you have a lot of content online somebody reads your book they listen to your podcast they know and like you you get on the phone with them it's not hey, can we have multiple coffees and get to know each other? They already right. trust you. And so that's why I like that as a long-term strategy because it, it eliminates a lot of that time. Again, it's not a bad, it's, it's, it is the strategy you must use if you don't have that kind of authority online. But, yeah, it, right. but you have to know that you will be doing that forever if you don't build the authority online. And if you're gonna do that forever, you have to be charging higher and higher prices for it to make sense. Would totally you agree, agree with that? Totally agree. Yeah. Totally agree. Yeah. And I, I didn't, I guess I didn't, didn't mention that because I was really just talking about the short term. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm just uh, translating um, it for our, yeah, our listeners no, it, who are definitely, you know, usually a little farther back in business. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you want to try to scale your own efforts and there's, yes. there are only so many coffee meetings you can have because they each take an hour or 40 minutes or whatever it is and your time doesn't scale. Yes. And you know what? Right. I'm also talking from PTSD because I was the person having multiple <laughs> coffee dates in that first year of business. Okay. First year of business. So didn't know what I didn't know. Having mm -hmm. coffee with every insurance broker, mortgage broker, real estate agent, not, you know, feeling my way around in the dark. And it was so exhausting. And so many of those conversations weren't going anywhere. Now I wasn't having them strategically. Right. Well, there's three questions I think you need to be yeah. able to answer before any coffee meeting. Yeah, go ahead. What do I want to accomplish right now? What do I want to ask for? How should I ask? Right? Maybe you just want to ask for that second coffee meeting. Okay. All right. Hey, you know what, Pia, this was fun. I love coffee, but... Like, it's not just the coffee. I, th I think there's an opportunity for us to maybe move a little bit. Maybe there's an opportunity for us to work together. Is it worth having another meeting, right? If you want, if you know that you want another meeting or if that's the ask, and maybe in the meeting you determine that this person is just not for you and there is no call to action, that's fine. But when I, what I mean when I say you can't just show up is you can't just show up to the networking. You got to ask for that coffee meeting. You can't just have the coffee meeting and expect people to say, oh, you know what, Pia, I thought you were great. So how do I pay you? Right. Because right. that's not going to happen. That's what I was you going to, for. Yeah. So many people do. <laughs> yeah. no, so many people so do. People and do. it's, and that's why I think a lot of BNI groups are bad. Yes. It's, it's, and it's not because they're bad people. It's not because they don't have great intention. It's that you get a bunch of people in and they feel like, and BNI is set up. I'm not trying to bash BNI. I think it's great. No, it's okay. But w <laughs> the, it, when, you know, when you, 
it's set up that you're supposed to pass a certain amount of referrals when people feel like, okay, here it is. If I just put in my time, spend the year, the first year doing it, then the second year I'll start to get these referrals coming through. And, and it's like, well, that's now you're just paying for leads, right? Like that's not. And the incentives are completely yeah. misaligned. I mean, I got in and I started referring all left and right without knowing right. these people. And then people were, and who got, who did I know to refer? Only my nearest and dearest, my dad, my friends. And then right. the people in my group would not follow through. And this is another PTSD. It was like, I just, <laughs> I was told I had to send you guys referrals. I basically sold all my friends on your financial planning. And then you sucked right. at it and tried to push, right. uh, you know, whole life insurance down their throat when they shouldn't be getting it, <laughs> which happened more than one time. So oh, it's not set up. I don't think it's set up for, for with the right incentives, because to me, it's like, I don't want to send referrals to anyone unless I really think they're amazing and that's the right. only way and i can't know you're amazing unless i've spent quite a bit of time with you and probably worked with you right yeah and then it's but if you don't know what to ask for yeah but if you, yeah if, if you don't know what to ask for you're never going to move the process forward and and so much of you know closing a sale my favorite closing question is hey does it make sense to move forward what happens now like, I guess that's two questions, right? But, you know, my, my favorite question is, what's the next step? And, and sometimes I'm feeling a little frisky and I'll say, you know, I think it makes sense for us to move forward. Does it make sense to you? You know, I'm leaving it up to the prospect. I don't push anybody. But, hey, I still have to take control of the process. I still have to, you know, introduce that little nudge. Like, hey, I, I'm seeing something here. It feels like we're on the same wavelength. What should we do from here? It's a very non-threatening, very, you know, again, give control to the buyer. That's fine. But I can't assume that the buyer is going to take control. That's the difference. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And, and you know, use those sentences because you genuinely mean them. Because you are looking oh, right. at them as a, you are looking at this whole relationship as a partnership, which, by the way, is going to give you a lot more clout in the relationship to begin with. Again, you know, as a, as a, branding company i am providing a service i'm doing all i'm doing the majority of the heavy lifting for you but i need you as a partner i need you to be there to give me what i need i need you to be there to go through the process with me and be on board with it and so it really is are we going to do this together and not yeah. you're going to hire me to do this for you because if that's the relationship it's not going to be as successful right and it's going to cost way more too yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i I don't do anything in business that, I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't do anything that I, that my kids wouldn't be proud of, right? Like I'm not, we can talk about our online reputations. We can talk about our reviews on Google and LinkedIn and Facebook and all the nice things that people say about it. Eh, that's fine. That's all nice social proof, things like that. I help people and I help people in a way that my family is proud of. And, you know, I think about my kids who, who see that I'm gone a fair amount of time to see that I'm working my tail off. Like, I want them to be proud of what they see because my responsibility to them as a father, my, my responsibility to them as a father is bigger than my responsibility to my business. I can do anything and still be a great dad, right? So I want to make sure that what I'm doing to provide for everybody is something that I'm proud of that they're proud of. That's really important. And, you know, I, I know that's a concept that's very difficult for a lot of people listening right now to to reconcile they, that a lot of time a lot of times the, the way people sell has been excused rather or, or looked past rather than embraced you can do really well i, I think back my my son just turned 10 a couple weeks ago i remember this was geez eight years ago eight years ago nine years ago i won a really nice watch a watch I would not buy for myself. I was rep of the year for my company. They rewarded that with a watch. And it was a really tough year, so it was a nicer watch than they normally gave. And someone complimented me on that watch recently. I was working with a group of sales students, actually. And they said, hey, it's a nice watch. I said, and the first thing out of my mouth, reflexively, I was almost embarrassed. I said, I didn't buy it. And I said, what do you mean? Did you steal it? And I was like, no, actually, no, it's a really cool story. I was given this watch. 
And it's a watch that's nicer than I'd ever buy for myself. I have an Apple watch that I wear most days. I have my phone with me. Most I know what time it is. You don't need a really expensive watch to, to know what time it is. I said, but the cool thing is, every time I put it on, I know how I got it. I know that I earned it. I know I earned it in an ethical way. And the really, really cool thing is that when I got it, my son was about a year and a half old. And he saw it and he started wearing it, even though it was too big for him. He knew instinctively that that was his dad's and that he was proud of it. And one day it's going to be his and he'll be really proud of it because he'll know that his dad was pretty good at what he did, but that his dad was also proud of the way he did it. And when that watch becomes him, every time he puts it on, it'll make him feel great because he knows that it makes me feel great when I wear it and he knows why. That's not just the ethics that that gets back into the value that you know you provide for people, the help that you know you give, the, the changes that you make possible. You don't make them for people, you make them possible for people. What you're creating is so valuable that you need to go tell people about it, particularly the people you know you can help. I love that. That's very inspiring. And I also love that it's a perfect, feels like a perfect summary of your approach to learning how to be, what kind of salesperson you want to be or how, how you want to sell. And I think a lot mm -hmm. of people, going back to our first point, you know, hate the word sales, don't want to do it, but that's because they have a very bad connotation for it. How can you, what is, what does it look like for you to sell in a way that you're proud of so that you don't feel any sort of negativity about it? Because I think all of that negativity is stopping you from making the very sales that you absolutely need to make in order for your business to be successful. And you cannot get away from that. It, it can be done. It really can. It, it Again, it's not something you do to people. And look, I, I can't sell the way you sell, Pia, and I wouldn't ask you to sell the way I sell, right? But there are things that make you effective in the way you sell. There are things that make me effective in the way I sell. I try to teach people those principles, those underlying fundamentals, so that they can go and do it their way. I don't want you to try to be me. You don't want to be me. You know, there's some, you know, you know what I mean? Like that, that's not genuine. That's not authentic and it's not going to work as well for you, but understand what needs to be done. Figure out your own way to do it. You'll have a lot of fun figuring it out. You're going to make a lot of mistakes. You're going to have a lot of unexpected victories. And at the end of the day, you're going to have this experience that you can rely on that just starts rolling downhill like a big snowball. And I... I was reluctant to get into selling. I can't imagine doing anything else now. Just it's the impact that you make, the fun that you have. And just, I'm a big, I'm a, I'm a sucker for the experience. I think the ups and the downs, I think the, if you were winning all the time, you'd be bored. And if you were losing all the time, you'd be demoralized. But the, the gaps between the winning and the losing help provide the perspective that's necessary to appreciate both. And, you know, I mean, we're here. Enjoy the ride. Enjoy the ride. That is a great way to wrap this episode. Thank you so much, Jeff, for sharing all of these insights. I think you've given such a uh, refreshing perspective on sales, as you always do. And that's why I like hanging around you. Well, thank you. <laughs> More of these mindset-shifting conversations to help you own the fact that you do, in fact, need to be selling in order to have a sustainable business, and that you absolutely can do it in a way that feels good and authentic to you. Check out Jeff's community at RethinkTheWayYouSell.com, where he does live weekly trainings and shares so much more. I will link to that in the show notes at PiaSilva.com backslash podcast. Want to win a one-on-one -on -one coaching session with moi? All you have to do is leave a review on Apple Podcasts, include a question, and if I answer your question on the show, I will invite you to schedule a free 15-minute chat with me where I can help you unstick your brand and your business. So go leave a review right now and let's chat. Also, while you're there, you might as well hit share and go send it to a friend that you know needs to hear this episode. Taking inspiration from Jeff today. Just take a minute to consider how you feel about the whole sales process thing and how do you want to feel about it? Does it seem a little more possible to shift your mindset so that you actually see sales as something you could enjoy doing? As Jeff pointed out, apparently 
I sell hard, but that's because I've completely changed how I view it. I'm never trying to convince someone to do something that they don't want to do. And instead, just genuinely looking for the right people so that I can actually help them. Because that makes my life easier. After making that mindset shift, it got so much easier to talk to potential clients. I used to get nervous getting on the phone calls and now I really enjoy it because I'm not attached to the outcome because I'm genuinely trying to figure out if they are a perfect fit. And look, this shift, it doesn't happen overnight. But even if you change your mindset just a little bit today, that will certainly be one step closer to embracing the sales process as a whole. And when selling your services is not just tolerable, but enjoyable, well, that is a huge leap forward towards showing your business who's boss. Show Your Business Who's Boss is produced by Yellow House Media. Production coordinator is Lou Blazer. This episode is edited by Marty Seafelt. Creative direction by Steve Wasterball. Our theme music is Glass Prisms by Western Runners. 